Welcome to the Sunday Morning Podcast from Kingdom Faith Church in Worthing. This message is by Clive Urquhart. Brilliant. Great to be with you guys down on the sunny south coast. Let me know that God's in charge. Jesus is so good, so good. Well, a big welcome to all of you. I haven't been down for a while. You might have had one or two videos uh, messages that we've kind of had around in all the congregations, but it's great to be down here. And we as a church across all the congregations, as you know, have been doing a series called Living a Next Steps Life. Uh, and what does that mean? We're in, when you have a relationship with God, the Bible talks about having a walk with God. And so in our walk with God, we always want to be going forward. We don't want to be going backwards. We don't want to be going sideways. We always want to be taking steps with God. We want to grow in our relationship with God. We want to know Him more. Like in any relationship, when you spend time with someone, you, you get to know them. And sometimes as you grow in that relationship, you don't realise how much you're growing in that friendship because... In relationships, sometimes you're just growing in friendship relationship, but you don't notice. Because some growth is not noticeable. When you're growing up as a kid and you're getting taller and taller, you don't notice every day that you are growing. But if you look back 12 months, you realise you were that high, you know, now and a year later, you're now that high. So, but often in, in our relationship with God, we're growing, but we don't necessarily notice that growth. But there are other moments in our relationship with God, when things happen, you, you, in a worship context, you encounter God or, or something happens in your life and you know you reacted or responded completely differently in a situation than you might have done. And you realise, wow, something's changing me because I don't react like that anymore. Instead, I'm responding to people. And, you know, so we want to grow in our relationship with God. We want to know his voice more. We want to know what he's saying into our lives. What's another part of living a next steps life. Some of that is growing in relationship with God, but some of that is also growing in stronger relationships with one another. And that the church in the Bible is called the body of Christ or it's called a family of believers. And so we want to grow in, in stronger relationships with one another. So we are, we are there for each other. We support each other. We encourage one another. We pray for one another. We stand with each other. Sometimes you can go through a tough time and it's so encouraging to have somebody else come alongside you and say, hey, I'm standing with you, praying for you. Is there anything I can do to help you? And, and sometimes people are picking us up and helping us. And then maybe a little while later, we're doing the same for them because they might be having a challenging time. But we're, we are, we're growing in relationship with one another. We're not looking to, to backstab. We're not looking to be negative. There's enough of that out there in life that's going on. And the last thing we want as a church or as a congregation or as a body of believers, a family, is to come into an environment where it's negative, it's moaning, complaining, groaning. We want to we wanna be a place that lifts and encourages people. We want to be like an oasis of life for people. So we grow this way with God. We grow this way with each other. But also in living a next steps life, it's also about how we are sharing the life that we have with God. How, how do we share that with others that don't yet know God? Maybe out there people have a perception of who they think God is, whether, whether they think he exists or doesn't. 
they might have had a bad experience of church or Christians or whatever might have gone on in their lives. And part of, of living a next steps life is that when we're out in our jobs, in our workplace, in the community, with our neighbours, our friends that don't yet know Jesus, all of that, that there's something about us, something about the life that we have in God that is intriguing to others. It's different. We have a different sound to our lives, a different feel to our lives, maybe a different flavour to our lives that isn't kind of full of angst and trouble and I'm just in this for myself and I'm going, this is my next goal to get this, that and the other and all of that. But there's something about living in a place of peace and rest, knowing that I'm not chasing the next thing. There might be challenges, but I'm dealing with it in a certain way where the challenges are not defeating me, but I'm overcoming those things. Or maybe, maybe sometimes we, we face some diagnosis of sickness and maybe others deal with that in fear. What's going to happen to me? What's going to happen to me? And their life begins to fragment in different ways. And, but yet as believers, we can face challenges in a different way because we know that our lives are in God's hands, that he's in charge, that he's Lord. And so we want our life to, to say something to people around us in the world that we're living in. So a next step's life is growing spiritually with God, growing relationally with one another, but also how we share our life and our faith with other people. And so with that phrase, living a next step's life, we've also kind of used another little, you know, as a worshipper. Now, many people think that worship is just what you do in a service, in a meeting. You go to church and you worship Jesus or you worship God. Well, we know that being a worshipper is more than that. Living as a worshipper is about how we live our lives. That includes what happens in this sort of context. But God's more interested in how we're living our lives than whether we stick our hands up in a meeting or not. Because we can all fake it, can't we? You know, sometimes, you know, I don't want people to know what's going on in me, so I'll just look like everything's all right on Sunday morning. Hey, Jesus, you're brilliant. But inside, you feel like your world's falling apart and, and you don't want to let anybody else in. So why is it important that we have strong relationships with each other so that we are secure? We're not afraid. We're not in fear. That we're not worried about opening up something. Hey, look, I'm really struggling with something. Can you help me? Can you stand with me? I, I'm just really concerned or afraid. I've got this thing going on. And, and, and that's not weakness to do that. Actually, it's a sign of strength and character that you can share something with somebody else that you trust and say, hey, I'm really struggling at the moment. And, and somebody's not going to turn around and go, oh, you lack of faith. You shouldn't be doing this, that and the other. We all go through stuff, all of us. And we need one another. That's why we're the body of Christ. We're the family of believers. We need each other and uh, to stand with each other. So we want to live as worshippers. Now, I want to show you a quick slide. Um, if, if you've got that one where it talks about God and King Jesus at the top and then, is that all right? If you can put that up, that'd be brilliant. Um, now, we're going to, this morning, as part of living a next step's life as a worshipper, uh, I know we've been looking at all kinds of different subjects over the last few weeks in relation to that. But this one, this morning, is going to be looking at what does it mean to to, for our homes to be a place of worship or, or our homes to be a place of his lordship. Now, earlier in the year, we had a little series on this. So I'm going to touch on some of those things, but also some other added things in relation to that. Because if we want to live a next steps life and we want to grow spiritually, relationally and in our witness out in the world, um, then it all starts in the home. It all starts behind the front door of where we, where we live. 
And so if you look at the, the slate on the screen there, um, first of all, we've got God, we've got Jesus, we've got he rules and reigns. And so that's the person that we're in relationship with. We, we're in relationship with God, the king of the universe, the creator of the heavens and earth. That's amazing, isn't it? That we have relationship with God. He, he's the same yesterday, today and forever. He's never going to change. He's eternal. He's mighty. And yet he says, I want you to know me and I want to know you. Isn't that amazing? Um, then, so if you have a king, you've got to have a kingdom. And so therefore there's God's kingdom. What is God's kingdom? God's kingdom is where he rules and reigns. So when someone gives their life to Jesus, what they're saying is, Jesus, I, I want you to forgive me for the sin and all the things I've done that separate me from you. And when you do that, Jesus forgives you and he gives you a whole new life. You start again. Well, the Bible talks about being born again. And we come into a relationship with God where we're not just asking him to forgive us. We, we're saying, Jesus, we want you to be Lord. I want you to be Lord. I want you to be number one in my life. And uh, when we do that, he, he, his life comes in us and then we become part of his kingdom. So on earth, there are kingdoms. There are lots of earthly kingdoms, but there's also a spiritual one. It's called God's kingdom. And when you give your life to Jesus, you become part of that spiritual kingdom, his kingdom. Now, within the kingdom, there is all the believers across the earth, the planet, and it's called the church. And so you have the church. And what, we, what do we do as a church? We, we have a relationship with God. The church is part of God's kingdom. And then we as the church take his kingdom life the life of his kingdom and everything that represents out into the world, right? So you have the church, which is the global, but then you also have the local church. So right now, this morning, Worthing Congregation is an expression of local church. And so every believer, every person that gives their life to Jesus needs to be part of a local church, needs to be part of the body of Christ somewhere that we're connected into the body. Now, over the years, there's been a lot that has been taught and spoken in churches about the local church, being part of that and what that means, what that looks like. Every church has a vision, has a purpose and why we're here. What's our mission statement? What are we going for? What do we believe God wants to do? All of those kind of things. And there's been a lot that's been said about what it means to be part of that and, and what are you doing to be involved in that and everything else. But maybe one of the things that we haven't done as the church generally not just our own church, but the church, is we haven't strengthened and validated what is the, the basis of how strong a local church is. And that is what happens in our homes. God's lordship in our homes. A local church, a local congregation is only going to be as healthy, as vibrant and as strong as, the, as what is going on in our homes. So we know there's a challenge in our culture, in our society, because um, in home life, a lot of home life in our society can be quite fragmented. There's a lot of relational issues, a lot of marriage challenges, a lot of things going on. And you would say that there's a lot of fragmentation in family life and in homes. And one of, one of the amazing opportunities we have as Christians, as the church, is to be living something, to demonstrate something in marriage, in family, in relationships and how we are that needs to be like a, 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 a prophetic statement, if I can put it that way. An example, if you like, not, not soapbox, we're right, you're wrong, not that 
But the way that we're living in our marriages, in our families, in our relationships speaks. It says something. And so we want to have healthy homes. And so I believe God wants us to have healthy homes and and for his lordship to be in our homes in a new and fresh way. So let's just have a look at a few verses and then we'll come back to some of that uh, in a minute. So God wants his shalom. What does that mean? His shalom means his abundant well-being, his complete wholeness, nothing missing, nothing lost. He wants his abundant life to be at work in our homes and uh, in our lives. A couple of scriptures, Luke 2 verse 14. When Jesus was born, the first thing that was declared was this in Luke 2 14 by the angels appearing to the shepherds. So we're coming up to this period of time uh, of the year, Christmas time. And this is what they said when the shepherds were in their fields, washing their socks and doing whatever they were doing, looking after their sheep. It says here, glory to God in the highest and on earth peace to men on whom his favour rests. So the first thing they declared was glory to God, worship to God, adoration, glory to God in the highest and on earth peace. Now that word peace there means abundant well-being, complete wholeness, nothing missing, nothing lost. It's God's life, God's salvation. So right when Jesus was born, what, what the angels were declaring were glory to God in the highest and on earth, abundant well-being, complete wholeness, nothing missing, nothing lost. God's salvation to men on whom his favour rests. Isn't that brilliant? So what does that say? It says Jesus came to give. The essence of who Jesus is, was not to stay in heaven, but was to come to earth to say, I want to bring the life of the kingdom, the life that is going on in heaven, I want to bring that life down to earth and I want that life, that peace, that abundant well-being, wholeness, health and everything else. I want to bring that down to earth and I want that to come upon all men, every person. Then what does it say, Isaiah 53, 5? But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was upon him and by his wounds we are healed. That was a prophetic thing in Isaiah 53 in the Old Testament. He, was, he went to the cross for us. He took every pain, every guilt, every shame, every sin, everything that could separate us from him. He took the punishment that we deserved. And he took it upon himself on the cross and opened up the possibility for you and I to be forgiven, to be healed, to be made whole. He says here, he brought us peace. Same, same meaning as the previous verse. And then in number 6, 24 or 26, it said, The Lord bless you and keep you. This is the, the priestly blessing. The Lord makes his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord turn his face towards you and give you peace. Wow. So God's heart and intention is to bless us, to abundantly bless us, to abundantly give to us as people. See, that, what that does, it shows God's heart for you and I and for any person that is alive on the planet. God is not an angry God. God is not a meagre God. God is a God of abundance. He's a God of life. He's a God of goodness. He's a God who gives. He's a God who wants to bless. Why? Because He wants us in relationship with Him. How many of you would create something you don't want? How many of you create something you don't like? 
you would only want to create something that you want to create, that you want to enjoy, that you want others to enjoy. And so he's the creator. He created uh, uh, man and woman. He created mankind to have relationship with him. He takes joy and delight in who we are. But if we don't know God, we can't receive everything that he wants to give us in our lives. God's a God of abundance. He's a God of, uh, he's so good, so good. So he wants that shalom. He wants his lordship, his rule and reign in our homes. God's not a controlling God. God will never, ever violate your will. Never. He respects you too much. He will never do anything you do not want him to do. He, he would love, because he, lo- he died on the cross. God so loved uh, the world that he gave. His heart is that every person on the planet would know him and have relationship with him. So he didn't hold anything back. He gave himself fully on the, on the cross. But he's never going to force himself on anybody because love doesn't force anything. God's love. It's called agape in the Bible. It's different to eros love and, and other loves that are more based on emotion and desire. God's love is based on his character and his nature, his will. So agape is based on who he is and that's a selfless love. And so he, he, he will respond to anybody that says, God, I want to know you. Boom, he'll come right away. He's waiting. He's waiting for every person but who will never violate their will. If somebody turns around and says, I don't want to know you, God, I'm not interested. He, he says, OK, I'm not I'm not going to force myself on you. I'm not going to do I can't. He, he would love you to know him. He'd love every person on the planet to know him. And, and I don't know what that would feel like if you love someone. And they turn around and say, I don't want to know, I'm not interested, go away, I don't believe in you. For whatever reason, they're saying those things. What, does, what is that like? What does that feel like? <coughs> but yet God is he's just constantly wanting to give, wanting to give. And that's where as Christians, those of us that know God in the room, man, what an opportunity we have to show God's love to people, to talk about who Jesus is and what he's done in our own lives and what he can do in other people's lives. So he wants his lordship in our home, his rule and reign in our, in our homes. And we know that every, God would love that in every home. So you and I, as believers in our homes, uh, or every person, whether you know God or not, every person for their home where they live is a gatekeeper, a doorkeeper. Every person decides what they allow to come into their home and what they don't allow to come into their home. We all decide what we watch on the TV. We all decide what we do use in terms of social media. We all decide what we do and don't do in our homes. And so every person is a gatekeeper, if I can use that phrase, to our home. What we allow in and what we don't allow in. What we allow to go on and what we don't allow to go on. And uh, so therefore we have an authority in our home. So you have, you're, you're the authority in your home as to what goes on and what doesn't go on. In 1 Peter 2 verse 9, um, it says here, But you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people belonging to God, that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness and into his wonderful light. Now, what's this got to do with our home? Well, God speaks about believers as a royal priesthood. If you can have a royal priesthood, there's two things there. One, it talks about royal. Another one is priesthood or a bunch of priests being a group of. Priesthood means a group of, a a bunch of, if we can put it that way. 
And uh, so there's two things, royal and priest. So in order to have a priesthood, you've got to have priests. Now that's not a modern, that's not a word we generally use in our, certainly not in our church anyway, but in, in, in a lot of, see, people don't walk around, you know, down the road going to Europe, you know, they might, if you're a priest, they might be connected with the Catholic church or something like that, you know. But uh, if, you, if, if we say that we are priests, we're like, well, what does that mean? And what, is, what does a priest do? A priest is someone in the Bible that was set apart by God, who ministers to God, but also prepares and sets things up for God to come and minister to others. So the priests in the Old Testament would prepare the tent of meeting and the other things that they had to do and create an environment for the people to come and worship and spend time with God. They were, so as well as ministering to God or worshiping God themselves, they created an environment for that to take place for other people. And so in our homes, we are, if we can put it this way, the priests in our homes. Or let's put it another way, put a modern word on it. You, you're the pastor in your home. So what does a pastor do or a priest do in this setting? Part of my responsibility as the pastor and, and others who are in leadership is to help me create an environment as a church for us to come and worship God together and to meet with God together. And, and the way we, what we teach and everything has got to be from the Bible and, and whatnot. So that we're helping to create an environment. But, but, but you also have a responsibility to do that in your own life. So in your, I, I, in your home, you're the authority in your home. I'm not. You're the pastor in your home. I'm not. So if I came, if Jane and I came to your house for dinner or whatever, and, uh, and you said, look, well, you know, um, you said, oh, we're going to say grace before dinner. Then it's like, well, it's your home. You say grace. Or if, you, if we said, oh, we're going to have communion together, I'd be like, brilliant. Will you, you lead it through then? This is your home. So when I come into your home, I might be the pastor of the church, but I'm not the pastor in your home. You're the pastor, you're the priest, you're the authority in your home. So when I come into your home, I'm submitted to your authority in your home because it's your home. If you come to my home, it's the other way around. Do you know what I mean? But if I come into your home, I'm not just going to help myself to the, into the fridge or tell you what to do or let's have communion now or anything like that. It's your, your home. So you're the one, you're in charge in that, in that respect. So if we're priests in our homes, part of our responsibility in our homes is to be what? Worshipping God, creating a, an atmosphere of worship and, and cultivating his presence in our homes. Why? Because God wants to do stuff in our homes. He wants to show up in our homes. So one, we want to worship, but also we want to help to create an environment. If you're married or if you've got kids or whenever you have friends coming around or whatever it might be. We want to create an environment where when people walk into our homes, it feels different than all the other homes they go into. That when they come into our homes, they're like, wow, this is, I've never felt peace. I don't know what words people would use. Some might use peace. This is so peaceful. We know we've had people live with us uh, over the year. We have people, we've always had people living with us since we've, just about since we've been married. People that might need help in different ways, some more than others. And, and most of the people we've had living with us have never had a stable family. They were growing up uh, or they've had stuff that's happened in their lives and they need a place of stability, a place of peace. And some of the things they've said is, I've, I've never known peace like this. While I'm here, I know I'm safe and, and that kind of stuff. And, and we want homes that are full of the presence of God. So that yes, people might feel peaceful, but also... It's a place where they can give their life to the Lord. It's a place where they might get healed. 
because we're cultivating the life and the presence of God. Now, often we've cultivated that in, in here, in, well, it's not up there now, in the local church. You know, if you're going to get healed, then go to church on a Sunday or go to a meeting and somebody will pray with you. And we, we've cultivated or developed faith or an expectation for many Christians that in order for God to do something, you go to a meeting and somebody will pray with you. But if he is Lord of our lives and, and he's Lord in our homes and he wants to bring his shalom, his abundant well-being, nothing missing, missing, nothing lost. If God wants to show up in our homes, well, what could happen in our homes? So kind of connect that in a minute. If, if we're living in a, in a culture that where, where there's so much fragmentation of, of family and marriages and relationships, we, we want to be living something so that as we are reaching out to families and friends that we know, and, and I'm sure most of you have got uh, one of these, uh, you know, win the one cards, you know, where we're praying for friends and family that don't yet know Jesus and everything. And we're praying for these guys, these, these people that we know. And we want to be living something in our homes so that as these friends and families come to know Jesus, then they can already see how we are living. And then they say, right, that's, that's what it's supposed to be like in our home now then. Or that's, that's what it looks like when you give your life to God. And then God comes into your home. There's something different, different atmosphere. It's now full of peace or, or whatever it might be. Are you there? Because what is the Great Commission? The Great Commission in Matthew 28 is go and make disciples of all nations. At the end of Mark 16, it says go and preach the gospel to all creation. Then it follows with signs and wonders and all kinds of things. But in Matthew 28, it then says, teach them to obey what I've commanded you. What does that mean when it says teach them to obey? The word teach there means show by example. It means show by example what I have shown you, this is what Jesus was saying, how I've shown you how to live. Now, as you go and make disciples and you share the life that you have in me and, and then, then how you're living is to be just as much caught as it is taught. How, how many of you had kids? How many of you got kids or, or whatever? Or you got grandkids or wherever you are in life now and great grandkids, I don't know how many you've got. But... Isn't this true? It doesn't matter what you tell your kids. If they don't see the reality of it in their heads, especially when they're little, they don't maybe articulate it in the same way as when your kids get a bit older. But when they're little, if you say this, this but they don't see you doing this, 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 it's subconsciously they go, well, that doesn't add up. Uh, he or she saying this, 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 but they do that, that and that. So I'm just going to do that, that and that because that's what they see expressed and lived out, right? And so it's the same when people come to know the Lord, when people first give their lives to the Lord. Many people, it's like, well, what, what does it mean to be a Christian? What, what is it? Because some people think being a Christian is a set of rules. It's a set of laws, a set of regulations. Well, I don't know what kind of relationship you would have with others if your relationship was based on laws and rules and you've got to do this, you've got to do that, you've got to do otherwise you're not acceptable. I mean, if Christianity was based on laws and rules and all of that, man, what kind of relationship would that be with God? When you love somebody, you want to bless them, you want to please them, you want to, do you know what I mean? You want to do stuff, for, right? Because it's a, it's a reciprocal thing. And 
with God, it's a relationship. But within that, because you know what he's done for you, you're like, God, I want to bless you in the same way that you bless in me and you've given your life to me and you've done all this stuff. You've forgiven me. You healed me. You've changed my whole world and everything. It's like, God, I want to do the same for you. I want to bless you. I want to know you. Why? Because this relationship is one of love. What does love do? Love gives. But as, as you give, you also then receive. It's amazing how, how God works. This is not really sticking to my notes. We're going off all over the place. But hopefully this is relevant right now. So if we're preaching our home, we allow what comes in and what goes out, what goes on and what doesn't go on. We understand the importance of the, the believer. Uh, let's skip a little bit. Well, you won't know that because you're not looking at my notes, are you? <laughs> we're going to skip a little bit. Um, why is this so important? The children are going to come in in about 10 or 15 minutes. We're going to have communion together in, in families or in friendship groups. And, and because what we want to encourage you to be doing is, is spending some time in your homes as families, uh, developing and cultivating uh, the life that we're, we're blessed with in our, in our homes. So let's have a look at this. Deuteronomy 6, verses 6 to 9. It says here, These commandments that I give you today are to be upon your hearts. Impress them on your children. Talk about them when you sit at home and when you walk along the road, when you lie down and when you get up. Tie them as symbols on your hands and bind them on your foreheads. Write them on the door frames of your houses and on your gates. Now, we know this is from the Old Testament. And, and this is what God spoke to Moses about to tell the people that basically whatever I, whatever. I want to do in your life and is good for you, according to my word and everything else, just stick it everywhere. So that you're constantly reminded of who I am and how I want you to live. And then when you live like that, how blessed you are. So it was like, stick them here, stick them here, stick them on the doorframe, stick them everywhere. How many of you put little fridge magnets on your fridge? You know, Jesus loves me or something like that or, or whatever it is. Or, you, you know, not, we don't have bumper stickers so much now, do we? But, you know, we, we have all these little things that remind us and encourage us and everything. Well, the amazing thing now is, is God is on the inside of us. So he's written on our hearts. He's written in here. He's in us. That's amazing. That's nuts when you think about it, isn't it? God of the universe is in us. How do we not explode? Have you ever thought about that? How do we not just self-combust? You know, if you've got the creator of the universe in us, that somehow he can, he puts himself in us and he wants to express himself through us. So here's some practical kind of stuff that the, the Bible's telling us to do. Talk about this when you sit at home, when you walk along the road, when you lie down, when you get up. In your everyday life, what's the Bible saying here? Talk about who you know, who he is, what he's doing. Just bring him into all the conversation, into everyday life. Don't compartmentalise God into a prayer time. Especially as a family or as a household. Um, we want to be talking about the Lord, that he's part of our lives. He's part of our family. So our kids don't grow up with, right, now this is the time we spend with the Lord and the rest of the time he's not even mentioned, you know, or he never comes up or we only pray if there's a problem and we better, well, let's pray then. You know, we, we, want, we want to help to cultivate relationship with our kids. Now, if we're living in a culture where there's so much pressure to conform, Social media is screaming at all of us. This is what you should think. This is how you should behave. This is what you should wear. This is how you should live your life. Media, social media, contemporary society, 
peers, when, especially with our kids and younger people in school, college, uni, when, as they're growing up with their friends and in their groups, how, how much is being pressurised now because of peer pressure saying, live like this, wear this, do this, don't behave like this, you can't think like that, you've got to think like this, you've got to be tolerant to everything and everybody and, and all of that kind of stuff, right, that, that is there, out there all the time. And so are we going to allow our own lives or our children's lives to be formed and shaped by the conversations going on through other contexts or are we going to spend some time in our own homes around the table, our own dinner table, where so much conversation can go on and even break bread there together, having communion, just share breaking bread and having communion together. And we talk about life, we talk about who God is and what's going on as we're eating and as we're just all of that, you know. Because I I know in our situation, we wanted to help our children know God and their lives being shaped by Him and not by the philosophies, lifestyles and principles of everybody else out there that says you should do this, that or the other. Every person is alive. Every person in this room and every person out there has a, has a way of thinking, has a worldview, has a philosophy, has an opinion about something, about how you should live, what you should believe, what's acceptable, what's not. It's everybody has. And everybody's got that from somewhere. There's not one person out there that's come up with their own theory on life. That's been fed by lots of little bits here and here and, and by people's upbringing, experiences, what happened in the home, which is the first place where your thinking, your attitudes and your lifestyle is formed. Yeah. Right in the home. Yeah. That's, the, that's why the home is so, so important. That's where, it, the, the, you know, as you grow up, other things begin to influence that because of the people you spend time with, the things you read, the things you listen to and all of that and what you do, decisions you make. But the first place of your worldview of life and of people and everything else, that is formed by how you were raised in the first two or three years of your life. You can talk to, you can talk to whether it's scientists, you can talk to medical guys, brain people, all of that. The first two or three years of your life basically shape the paradigms that you then refer everything else to as you then grow up in your, your, your life that are affected by what is acceptable, what isn't, how, you, how you're treated, how you're spoken to, what you're allowed to do and not to do, whatever forms of discipline. Discipline in the world is seen as a negative thing, such a positive thing if you do it correctly. That you have the right conversations, you show people the right boundaries, what's healthy, what isn't, what's good, what isn't, all of that kind of... But all, even all of that is affected by what you believe, your view on life and everything else. So it's important that as Christians, in our own, in our, with our own kids, in our own family, in our own context, that we're shaping the conversation because if we don't, somebody else will. Yeah. People say, oh, you shouldn't tell your kids that. That's brainwashing them. Well, if, if, we, if we don't help them understand how God sees life, yeah. if he's the creator, there must be a healthy way of seeing life. If we don't shape and help form them to know God, somebody else is going to want to shape them in some way or other because everybody's being shaped out there by something. Yeah. And my kids are my responsibility. They're not somebody else's. So we're, I'm not going to let my kids' worldview and view on life be shaped by their teachers or by somebody else who's got an opinion or a thing that's different to mine. Why? Because I want to honour God in my life. I want to honour Him with raising my kids. I want to honour Him with my grandkids and all of that. At the same time, we, we want to help them know God so they make a decision themselves as to whether they want to know God. 
You can't force your kids to know God. Anyway, a little bit of a rant there. So just finally, before the kids come in, um, what we're we talking about here, what I'm going to kind of summarise about another 25 minutes in a, into about three or four minutes. Is that okay? Genesis chapter 2, verses 2 and 3. It says here, By the seventh day, God had finished the work he'd been doing. Like he, on six, six days, created everything and uh, formed everything on the earth. Then it says, On the seventh day, he rested from his work. And God blessed the seventh day and made it holy. Or the word holy there means set apart. Because on it, he rested from all the work uh, of creating that he had done. So he, he, he formed everything in six days. On the, the earth was already there. He'd obviously created that at some other point. But then he formed everything on the earth. And then on the seventh day, he said it, he rested. Now, the word in Hebrew for rest is the word Shabbat or the word Sabbath. And it means rest. That's what it means. Now, as soon as we use the word Sabbath or Shabbat, we, often we associate that, all oh, right, that's a Jewish thing. But actually, God talked about a, a, a moment of rest, Shabbat, before there were any before Israel was a nation, any Jewish people around or, or anything else. It was, it was Adam, he created Adam and Eve, people. They weren't a nationality or a race. They were, they were people at that point because there were no nations. He had relationship with, with Adam and Eve, with man, woman. And, and he said, so the, what was the first day that Adam and Eve spent on earth? The first day they spent on earth was the first full day anyway because Adam was created on the sixth day along with Eve and all of that. But the first full day he had on earth was day seven. So what was the first thing that, that Adam and Eve did on earth? Rested. Wow. Now, the word rest there, or the word Sabbath, means holy. It means set apart. And so therefore, God set apart a, a time that was to be holy. Now, again, we're going to have to summarise a lot. In Hebrews chapter four, there's a whole lot of stuff uh, in there where it talks about the Sabbath rest for God's people or living in God's rest. And the word rest there in English only has one word, R-E-S-T. And, and it means whatever we think it means. But in the, in the Greek, when it, was, when it was written, and then when you translate that to Hebrew and what that's written there, there's three different words for rest in Hebrews 4. Is this okay? I'm not, we're not going to go all nerdy now for a minute, but I just want to help you understand something for a minute. There's three different words for rest. One is the rest of God, which is when you become a Christian, when you give your life to God, you come into the rest of God or the word used there is abode, habitation. You come into relationship with Him. Okay, that's one. So you rest from trying to live life in your own strength and effort and you now come into His life and His life lives in you. Are you okay? You got that? So one word for rest is abode, who you are in Christ, what it means to know God. Another word, rest in another part of those, some of those verses is to cease from your work, your daily work. So God had some work that he was doing and then he ceased from it and rested. Then the third meaning for when the word rest is. So if you read through Hebrews 4, in one moment rest means abode. In another verse it means rest from your work. And then there's another phrase used called Sabbath rest. What, don't, I don't want to lose you. This is really important in relation to the home. Okay, And then we're going to have communion together. Um, it says here uh, about living a Sabbath rest for the people of God. 
For anyone who enters God's rest also rests from his own work. What does all that mean? There's so many rests going on here. What, what a Sabbath rest means there is as believers, we live in the rest of God. We are now not trying to live our lives in our own strength. We now have Christ in us. We're, we're living in him and he's living in us, right? So, so we've entered into that rest. But we all have a daily schedule. We all do stuff. We go to work. We have to cook. We go shopping. There's stuff that we do in life that, that you have to do to live. right? And, and so there's a daily schedule. And one of the words for rest was to, there, there's an appointed time to rest from that schedule. And that's what it's talking about when it talks about a Sabbath rest in these verses. So let's just sum it up, shall we? Are you still with me? Or have I kind of left you? Still with you, yeah? All right, cool. Um, So what it basically means is, as a believer in Christ, God has an appointed time with us when he wants us to rest from our daily schedules and spend time with him that is solely for him. It's called an appointed time. It's called Sabbath, right? Now, we know, we understand that that there was a whole day or Jewish people do a whole day. I'm not saying we have to do a whole day of rest. What what I do believe is right, though, that in our lives, you can do this daily, you can do it once a week, you can, that in our schedules and in our lives and in our busyness, uh, as a household, as a family, whatever your context is, we know there might be some single people who are, you know, renting a house together or whatever, and, uh, and, or whatever it looks like, your situation, I want to encourage you that, that there's an appointed time in your day or in your week where, where we want to get around the table, where we put our phones, one of the things we had in our home with our kids growing up was uh, there's no mobile phones at the dinner table. No, you can't use your phone. When we're around the table, we're, all, we're here. We're all in the room together. We're not in the room, but out of the room because we're chatting to all our mates here, there and everywhere. So phones are left over there. You can't even reach your phone, right? So, so why? Because we want to be together. We want to interact. We want to talk. We want to relate. And, uh, and we had everything from, you know, kids being at school. Oh, in, in, in this lesson today, you know, this, we talked about this. What, 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 where's God in that? Or what do we believe about this? Or what, what do you think, Dad? Or whatever. And we'd end up kind of talking about, well, what do you think the Bible says? Well, what do you think God says? Not because we just want to preach to our kids suddenly, but it's like, well, if God's given us a book of how to live your life, and how he wants us to live. Well, it must, it must be, he must say something in here about it somewhere. And because um, everybody's being shaped by something. And I don't know about, I, I want to be shaped by this. I don't want to be shaped by somebody else's opinion for whatever reason. I want to be shaped by God. God is all wise. He's, uh, he laughs at the wisdom of men and all of that kind of stuff. We think we're wise, but yet God laughs and he's like, oh, this is crazy, you know. He sees the big picture. So we want to live from his perspective. So we want to get round the table. What does that mean? It means you don't have to turn it into a meeting. But you can be having dinner together. And while you're having dinner, you say, hey guys, let's just break bread. Let's have communion together. Let's centre every- our lives fully around who Jesus is. And then you can take a few moments. Well, what is, what is communion? What does it mean to break bread? What did Jesus do for us on the cross? What is, and and what, when he says, this is my body, which is given for you, what does that mean? Well, he gave himself fully on the cross without holding back anything. 
and he, he was whipped and beaten and he was bruised and everything else and he took the punishment that we deserved on himself. And so we can explain, I don't know, unpack it depending on how old your kids are. Um, and and what, when it, we, the cup, the wine or the juice, you know, uh, that we might have with our kids, you're not going to necessarily give your kids some wine, uh, but, the, but the juice or whatever. So what is the blood, what is that? When Jesus said, this is my blood which is shed for you, what does that mean? and uh, for the forgiveness of your sins. And, and as you teach your kids, there's some, you can change it around rather than telling them. You say, hey, so what, why, why do we break bread? Bless you. Why do we break bread? Oh, it's because of this, this, this. And we help our kids be involved. But you don't have to turn it into a long meeting. You've got friends around for dinner. You might invite a group of friends around. In the middle of all that stuff, you might be saying, hey guys, let's, have, let's just break bread. Let's just pray for one another and bless one another. You don't have to turn it into a half an hour meeting. They broke bread in the early church in Acts. They broke bread in their homes daily uh, and they, uh, while they were eating. So you don't have to suddenly kind of turn it into a, right, you know, get the guitars out or, or whatever you do. I don't know, your tambourines. I don't know what you do in your house. <coughs> They've been burnt in my house. There's no tambourines there. And um, so uh, whatever you want to do in your home. And uh, why? We want to make space where we say, God, we are yours. Our family, our friends, our home, everything belongs to you. We want an appointed time with him. An appointment. It's like God wants an appointment with us. It's, it, it, well, I know we can, well, I can talk to God when I'm driving on my car. I can talk to him when I'm doing this, that and the other. Great. You do that in any relationship. But you know, the most intimate relationships, the people you are closest to, are the ones that you have conversations with when nobody else is around which is you and that person. And you're talking, you're sharing stuff, you're opening up. And, and there is our own time with the Lord, but also together as a household. So we want to cultivate healthy homes, healthy relationships in our homes and be a blessing to people around us. So some of you might think, well, I haven't got kids at home anymore. Or I haven't got, you know, I'm not just talking about that. Some of that's an example because it's important if you do have kids that you're shaping the conversation in their lives, not everybody else out there. Um, but we all invite friends round. Most of you are being small groups. This is relevant for small groups as well. When you're having a small group, what are you doing? Hey, why don't we break bread together? But I know kids' attention span can be three seconds sometimes. You know, so you don't have to try and stay there, sit at the table while we're going to do this. That's, that, that's not what it is either. You know, do as you're told, sit there, because that puts in their mind, oh, I'm living every time I get told off, oh, this is great, God's a tell-off, you know? And that's the last thing, do you know what I mean, we, we want to do. And, uh, and so you might have to keep it really short. Communion might be 30 seconds, one minute. And we've got stories of people, I know in other congregations that have been developing this, where they said at first their kids were like, oh, you know, can, do we have to do this? You know, but a few weeks down the line, they're, they're more enjoying it. They're praying for each other. Kids are praying for their parents. Parents are praying for their kids. People are praying for one another, whatever the context is. And hey, I've got a word for you. I just believe God wants to encourage you. I've got this scripture for you, you know, or I just saw, got a picture for you that God's just given me. I want to share that with you. And, or, or you just lay hands on and you just speak blessing and abundance or somebody's not well. Hey, can we pray for you? God wants to heal you. Come on, let's lay hands on you or whatever. And we see God's life being released in our homes in a new and fresh way. And as we cultivate that as normal, then when people come into our homes, it's going to be a lot more normal to then say, somebody's got angst and trouble, whether they know God or not, some stuff could be going on. And, and it's your home and it's like, hang on, what do we do in our home when we do it? Well, we pray for people. 
We move towards, hey, God wants to do something. So it's more normal to do that than suddenly think, oh, should I pray or not? Shall I, shan't I, shall I, shan't I? You know, and then you talk yourself out of it. And uh, so we want to, so if we've got a momentum in our lives, we're going to see a great release of God. Amen. So let's all stand together. If you've got, if you've got your kids with you, I don't know if you your kids with you. Um, maybe just uh, what would be really good to do is it, if, you, if you're with your family, get with your family. If you've come with some friends uh, or there's a group of people, just, just get into some groups right now, okay? Just get into a group. You can come out of the aisles. Just get with a few other people. If you're, if you're with your family, just get together as a family. If you're here with friends, just meet with a group of friends, okay? We're going to... And then could one person from your group, okay? One person from your group, if you want to go to the communion table which is over there and just get yourself a cup of juice for your group and a bit of bread and then go back to your group and then before you do anything we're going to pray okay so if somebody from your group if you want to get some juice and get a bit of bread Yeah, I'll say something. I'm going to say something about that. Okay, so before you do anything, just wait, okay? Just want to explain one or two things, and then we're going to pray together before you have communion. So just wait for a moment, okay? I know some of you are used to doing this. Maybe some of you aren't. But we want to we want to do this together. So before you start to do anything, if you just just hang on for a sec, okay? Now, maybe for some of you, maybe some of you in the room, you, you, you're saying, well, I, I don't have a relationship with God. I don't know God, so I've, I've not done this before. That's fine. Having communion, as it's called, is, is for people who do know Jesus, okay? So if, if, if you don't know Jesus, okay, then you don't need to take the bread and the wine as part of what we're going to do in the groups. But at the same time, what I want in the groups, or what I believe is right, is that those who are believers, okay, those that do know Jesus, you can have the bread and the wine in a minute. But what I want to encourage everybody to is to pray for one another, okay? And if you don't know Jesus today, if you're open to that, um, maybe the friend or family you're with, if you're open, they may pray for you. You might have a situation going on in your life and you say, well, I'd love that to change, but I don't really know God. I don't really know. Maybe they could pray for you about the situation, okay? And maybe you could see God do something that shows you that he loves you, that he's interested in your life and wants to, 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 he wants you to know him. Um, but the other part of it is, especially if you're in a family and you've got your children with you, as parents, so, so important that, you pray for your kids. 
you can speak the priestly blessing over them from number six. We could get that back on the screen, if that's all right. Number six. If, if you don't know it, you can pray for your kids and speak that over their lives. But also ask the children to pray for you. Why don't you get your children to pray for you and, and see what they pray. And, and maybe there's things you'll get for each other. You believe God is saying and you can encourage each other. You can do that in the groups that you're with. And not just the family groups, but the other groups. When you're having communion, pray for one another. Okay? There might be a need. Somebody might say, actually, I, I, I need to receive some healing. Well, you can pray for that person to be healed this morning. It doesn't need to be me or, or another leader to pray. You're a believer. The Bible says believers will lay hands on the sick and they'll recover. So in your group, as you have communion, this is one of the things that communion represents. The, the, the Bible says, by his stripes, we are healed. What does that mean? It means when Jesus was whipped uh, before going to the cross, and, and his blood was being, his, his back was being sort of ripped open and everything. He says, by his wounds, we are healed. And so he was taking all of our sickness on him so that we could be healed. And so you can take hold of your healing this morning. That's what that means. So let's just pray for a moment, okay? Now, in your groups as well, maybe if you're responsible in your home, you're the parents or, or whatever your situation looks like, you're responsible for your home. It might be that you need to just surrender yourself and your home to the Lord in a fresh way and just say, you know, because today's been about God's Lordship, living as worshippers. We want his place, our homes to be full of his presence and his life. And so maybe in your group, when we're praying now, you just need to surrender yourself afresh to the Lord and just submit your home to him and say, God, I want you to be Lord in my home, in my life in a fresh way. I've heard some things this morning that we need to just cultivate in a new way in our home. We need to give you space. We need to make those appointed times with you where everything else is on hold and we just say, God, this is your time. We're not just going to fill it with busyness and watching TV and everything else. This is your time now where we just, where we, you, you are Lord of our lives and everything else. Is that okay? So let's just pray. You can pray a response in your own heart and then have communion together, break bread, share the cup and then pray for one another after that and see what God wants to do in your group. Father, we thank you for your lordship in our lives. We thank you that you have come into many of our lives and we're full of your presence. We want our homes to be full of your presence, a place where you're really honoured in every way by the way we speak, the way we relate to each other, the atmosphere in our homes, what we do and don't do, that what really honours you in our homes. So, Father, I just thank you as we break bread together now, as we pray for one another. Holy Spirit, I thank you right now that you come powerfully into this moment, powerfully right now. I thank you that you're going to give words of encouragement to one another. People are going to be healed right now. We thank you that communion represents what you accomplished on the cross, the power of what you did that enables us to be forgiven, free, healed, now we've got hope and a future and we know why we're here, why we're alive. So we thank you, Lord. We praise your name. Okay, feel free just to, to break bread, share together, pray together and just see what God wants to do in the next few minutes. Okay. Great. Thank you, Lord. Let's just pray, shall we? Father, we thank you for what you're doing this morning. Father, we want to see your Lordship and your presence established even more and more in our homes and so father we just pray that 
We'd be able to take this into our everyday life at home and or, or even if we're already doing this, that you would do more in us and amongst us in our home, that our homes would become like an oasis for people in our street, our community, people who live around where we are, that our homes will be like an oasis. And Father, where so many people in this country, you know, the, the phrase, an Englishman's home is his castle, which can sometimes mean, I'm just going to bring up the drawbridge, shut everybody else out, and this is my, this is my place. Father, we don't want to live like that. We want to live with the drawbridge down. We want to live like an oasis where people are welcome, where they can come and find food and shelter and are welcome and find what they need because of who you are in our lives. And so we thank you, Father. Father, help us to see that where we live, we're an oasis for all of those people that are around us. We thank you, Lord. We thank you that you constantly love, bless and give to us. And we want to do that. We want to be the same to everybody else around us that we love bless and give to others in your mighty name we thank you lord amen amen if you are here this morning and you don't know jesus and maybe there's some things that we've been talking about this morning that you say well i want to ask you some questions or find out a bit more please feel free to come and have those conversations because we'd love to talk to you a bit more uh if if that's where you are and you want to know a bit more about who he is bless you Thank you for listening to this Kingdom Faith podcast. We trust it's been an encouragement to you. For more information and resources from Kingdom Faith and our other audio and video podcasts, please visit www.kingdomfaith.com.